everyone. I'm here this morning with uh, Walter Robinson. Walter is an experienced and accomplished uh, bilingual public affairs executive. He's a long, long time friend of mine. I've known Walter for many years. He's been very active in uh, politics and governance at the federal, provincial and municipal levels, including serving as a chief of staff to the former mayor of Ottawa. And he's he's just got a breadth of experience uh, on the local scene. Now, what's interesting about Walter is uh, in addition to his, you know, his public policy roles, Walter knows Ottawa like the back of his hand. He was uh, living out in Orleans uh, in a suburb of Ottawa for many years. He just recently, Walter, just recently moved downtown. I think you're living off Main Street in that beautiful new development on Main. So you're really at the nexus of some of the changes uh, that are going on in this city. Well, thanks for the opportunity to join you today, Dan. This is definitely a change election. And if you think about it, we're now 20 years, two decades into this new city that was formed from amalgamation, where Bob Shirelli was the first mayor, becoming regional chair, and then becoming the first elected mayor of the new city. And we're, we're, see- we're dealing with a lot of grown-up problems. We're a grown-up city. We've gone from about 725,000 people to over a million. And we have, as you've uh, alluded to, we have some big city problems in the context of hardworking women and men of our police force, but some challenges with the leadership. There are uh, communities at risk, ethnocultural communities that have some real challenges and real problems of trust in our police force. We have issues of discipline in the police force. And then we have these other issues that that would have been under the surface or people really didn't address uh, mental health and substance abuse uh, problems, people who use drugs, uh, those communities that, that are affected there. And then the big issue, transportation and transit, the, the big bag, of, as you and I know from our federal and provincial politics stuff, when you have a change of government, there's usually a big bag of stinky stuff sitting on the new minister yeah, or the new sure, minister's sure. desk. That is the light rail transit portfolio. Just on that, the paratranspo city uh, system in this city is broken. It doesn't work. But the issue is we pay public servants a lot of money. A lot. There's 17,000 employees in the city of Ottawa. It's a multi-billion dollar budget. And what do we have the capacity in the city to manage these types of problems? I mean, on item one, the procurement issue, it seems they got it wrong. On the build and design issue, it appears they got it wrong. On the management issue, no one took responsibility for it. They're all passing the buck. They had to call in a provincial inquiry. So. Where does that leave us? It leaves us with uh, a big stinking mess to come back to it. But in, in more concrete terms, a lack of confidence in the residents of this city and this region that if they get on the LRT, they'll be able to get off at the stop they're intending to get to. Uh, and that's the real issue here, confidence and reliability. What nobody's talking about, though, is about, okay, so we have we have the fare box revenues right now for OC Transpo in this calendar year, 2022, where we have less than three months left, projected to be $85 million under where they should be. So we're in a deficit again. We don't have ridership back. And just by way of, way of contrast, the New York City Metropolitan Transit Authority doesn't believe they'll get back to their 2029 pre-COVID ridership levels until 2030. This is the island of Manhattan that is built on a massive, a great subway system, a world-leading subway system. And they're not going to get to their ridership levels back to 2035. So that's the other component here of the things that you need to be asking. People need to be asking the mayoral candidates and their local city council candidates. 
What is your plan for realistic forecasting of OC transpo volumes in this new hybrid work environment? Because if we start talking about increasing the operational capacity of OC transpo for 20% over the next four years, that's about an extra $250 million that we're putting back on the property taxpayer, not on the fare box revenues, especially when the McKenney campaign is talking about freezing transit for riders under uh, free transit for riders under 17, freezing transit fees, electrifying the fleet, and then investing in cycling and all these other things. So we need to look also at tran- OC transport and transit in, co- in the context of transportation. How do people get around this city? And if I could add one more point, uh, Dan, what we really need our transit planners to do and look around the world for best practices is it's very clear that we're moving towards more suburban 15-minute, uh, 20-minute cities. Many of us have figured out wherever we live in the downtown core, Stittsville, Barhaven, Orleans, Cumberland, that what you've done post-pandemic is you figured out, I don't need to go downtown for a lot. If I'm working from home, I have that, have that ability to do so. I need to get around my community. So can we build transit that allows more community routes so a single parent could maybe even get on a bus and take their kid to hockey or soccer or an arts class and then leave them there or watch them there and then go get some groceries after and get back home because we're still very car oriented city that's we need to figure out the main spoke the hub line the main spoke of the east west and then north south eventually and then how we redesign transit and the fleet for community based transit and no i don't see any candidate talking about well that just to that point and and i think this is one of the observations uh, generally you can apply to transit across the campaigns for all of the issues one of the disappointing things i've uh, seen in this campaign is i don't see any big bold vision for ottawa i don't from any of these candidates i i see this all i my perceptions of the of the candidates platforms are are these sort of very middle of the road, careful, risk adverse uh, processes that that are tied up in a lot of bureaucraties that are not addressing the transit issues that real people are facing? I was just I was just I was just uh, texting before we we got on the podcast here with my mom. She says I'm gonna head, I'm gonna take the bus to get to church. I said yeah, I might want to book a cab or whatever. Uh, I mean, just, I mean, that's, that's where you are. That's the reality of somebody who's almost 90 years of age. I want to make sure they get there and back. So I wanted to come back to your point around vision. And this is the other thing. And, and this is where, and I'll give the candidates a degree of latitude here, but you talked about the transportation. Where's the vision? The vision needs to be wrapped into what are we doing about the future of work? What are we doing about the broader transportation issues in the city above and beyond transit, roads, cycling, pedestrian? What are we doing about building an economy that we've been trying to do for maybe 50 years and it's been hard that is not as reliant upon the government or builds on other kind of verticals, whether that be high tech, life sciences, whatever the case may be. What else can we do to kind of diversify Ottawa's economic base, light industry, more agriculture? And that's the kind of vision you need to have to be the mayor uh, to kind of say, then I can say, here's the vision for transit, because this is how I want to do with housing affordability. Here's what I want to do with intensification, smart intensification. Here's where I want to keep certain single family homes. Here's what I'm trying to do with new affordable units, mixed use development. Some of the stuff that I'm seeing right here, where I live in old Ottawa East, where you've all, it's almost like tabla rasa. Sure. Right? You've got this kind of in, in new, nice infield, not even brownfield, but urban development where you can do certain things. 
you need to think that holistically. So you even need to get out of your transactional based approaches on each of the files and say, what go one step above the 30,000 or 50,000 foot level. Let me see the entire city and the region. Uh, now, um, well, that comes with time too. And that comes to, sorry, one more point that also comes with a council that will work with you. Well, let's, let's just go to that because, um, and, and I, and I do want to talk actually about vision, specifically about the, you know, the, the perspective and vision of, Mark Sutcliffe and what he's uh, positioning for for his uh, if he was mayor. Same with Shirelli and same with Catherine McKenna. To your point about the council, this past council, in my view, was one of the worst councils we've seen in decades. Uh, multiple failures on multiple files, ethics breaches. Um, I can when we talk about Rick Shirelli and that whole debacle. This guy was a serial uh, sexual harasser. Over 10 women came forward harassed by this guy. They couldn't even get him booted off the council. Uh, we have the Ottawa Police Service with multiple uh, matters of misogyny, police misconduct, 80 officers criminally charged in the last seven years. Uh, none of them were fired. They, they had a police chief they brought in. It was a complete debacle. Um, There's no proper oversight in the police. It, it, it dysfunction, it's dysfunction defined. So I want to try to sort of pick your brain a bit on on Shirelli, Sutcliffe, and McKenney, their visions for the city. I will say this. I think the good news about the three of them is I think they're all very decent people. I think they're all they've all served the city. I, I think that they're all they're all highly intelligent people, um, thoughtful people. I think they're they're concerned. I think they are genuinely concerned about people who are suffering in the city. Um, but, but I think part of the challenge is there's solutions to that. And, and I just, you know, maybe if we could just go through them, uh, with regards to the homeless crisis and the, and the drug and fentanyl issue in, in the market, Sutcliffe, Shirelli and McKenney, what they're proposing and what do you think? I think Catherine McKenney, their campaign probably has the, the best handle on, um, uh, mental health and addictions and, and the holistic approach. Cause she's, they, they've seen it. I apologize for my misplaced pronoun. They've uh-huh. seen it. Um, uh, Bob Shirelli has addressed healthcare in a broader kind of health human resources perspective, but wants more community health intervention and integration into some of that work. And then Mark Sutcliffe has kind of looked at the other side of the coin. He has some stuff on mental health and addiction supports, but also uh, crime and, cr- and criminality and some of the guns and gangs violence that we've seen. He's, uh, he's actually uh, proposing 100 new positions over four years. I will take a step back and say I think all candidates have uh, oodles of integrity. I've criticized Bob Shirelli, and he knows that in my former taxpayer roles. I have a lot of respect for Bob, and he has a lot of experience. I will be very candid and be upfront. Mark Sutcliffe is a friend who I've known for 30 years. I believe he has integrity. I don't know Catherine McKenney other than from what I've, I've seen of their, them. However, I can tell you, um, the Catherine McKenney uh, was out front every day during the occupation here in our city and suffered a lot of abuse and, and, and st- stood up not only for the ward, uh, that they represent, but the city as a whole. So I think uh, Ottawa would be well served with any of them as mayor. I have a preference. Um, that being said, on on the drugs and crime issue, 
and, and and I don't want to say drugs and crime because a lot of people put those together, right? But they they they're mental. This is a mental health issue. Abuse. This is in Ottawa. It is, it's yeah. not a drugs and crime issue. This is if I can yeah. just pivot for a second because I'm yeah, I'm absolutely. actually going to finish your sentence for it respectfully, but I think I know where you, <laughs> I think I know where you're going with this. Here's the issue. For the past four decades, this city has had this Kafkaesque-type approach to drugs and, and mental health issues in the market that now have turned the byward market, in my view, into another version of Vancouver's east side. Well, that's why in, in, in the context of mental health, substance use, and addictions, it's a social determinants of health issue. And I can tell you that... Uh, my thinking on this issue has gone 180 degrees in terms of the work that I did in the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, it, it was a company that had some issues. There's no doubt about that. But what I learned in, with people that, with lived experience, people who use drugs, mothers and parents who have lost children to fentanyl overdoses. So what I would say on this, what I would say on this is that what we need to do and what the next city council needs to understand is speak, go, go speak to Dr. Jeffrey Turnbull, go speak to Wendy Muckle, go speak to Dr. Etches in terms of public health needs to have a greater role. I'm not talking about vaccination and, and those sorts of issues. Those are separate and people could have their own opinions on that. But in terms of understanding this, that you need to have housing supports, you need to have income supports, you need to have job supports, whether they're called wraparound services. But, 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 hang on. But let me me just finish the comment. And you also need to, if you're going to have safer supply, you're going to have methadone, you're going to have dicetylmorphine, you got to make sure that people, if you're providing safer supply, those sorts of things, to your point, you can't be just going to for you you have an an addiction is not a moral failing i think in many ways what you're talking about is a public policy failing big time done here. big time that's and that's where we need to pivot the conversation and that does require more resources it does require federal provincial intervention and it also requires to be planted to understand this is not necessarily just a downtown issue. It's not a byword market issue. There is fentanyl overdose with kids in our suburbs. There are people who are routinely doing uh, uh, experimenting, using drugs, and the street supply is toxic. It is toxic and getting more toxic and more dangerous by the day. There's a bigger issue here uh, that federal, provincial, and local governments need. I'm not passing the buck but it does require intergovernmental cooperation and it requires a society. And we did some polling on it a couple of years ago when I was in the pharmaceutical industry. And most Canadians still thought it's not my problem. It's somebody else's problem. No, no, it's our problem. But we don't, we don't, that's where I think agreed. But we, the, the challenge is this, the challenge as I see it is this, and you're absolutely right. It's not just in the core, it's in neighborhoods, but the reality too, though, is in Ottawa, the epicenter of this epidemic of failure is in the byward market and and it's in sandy hill and i've talked to families in sandy hill i've talked to people in my friends who live in the market and there's a lot of disabled people who live in the market in independent housing and you know so they don't have their paratranspo they have they're in apartment buildings down in the market this is why they ran into some of the problems during the, the trucker occupation because they couldn't get their attendance in and on top of that, then they have to fear. They're in fear. They live in abject fear when they're outside and there are these people walking around raised and drugged out of their heads because they have a mental health issue and they need to they need an intervention. And so the issue is what there there seems to be no plan. I mean, Sutcliffe is saying, well, we're gonna put more police on it. 
Well, to your point, it's a mental health issue. It's not a police issue. And Dan, the other the other thing is in chatting with frontline, and this is where community health and and policing, like we where this defund the police movement oh. has come from, is if you talk to frontline officers. They don't want to be doing a lot of these interventions because they're not qualified to do them. They would be great to work with mental health and a community outreach workers to talk about, here's what you see, here's what I see, here's how you de-escalate. And if you're going to do that, and to do that actually requires more resources, not less. And that's a transitional thing, right? You need to do that. If you're going to work on, to your point, what's the plan? Okay, let's figure out and to show what we've learned because the police know people who, who live with addiction in a certain way, right? Community health knows them in another way. To your point, where's the continuum? Where is pass off from one to the other? Where's you lead, I follow, back and forth. That needs to be, that needs, that takes leadership at the level and a city that says to their council, yes, work on public health, not direct the police how to do policing, but make sure when the police service brings forward a budget, there's a certain amount of this for training and for outreach. And that's, and that will also work for, and I'm not being Pollyannish about that, that also works for, our diverse communities in terms of that outreach as well. And, and that needs to be leadership at the mayor's office to say, this is what we expect council. And, and this cannot be a divisive issue for a council. This should be a slam dunk, 25 votes. Yes, that's what we want to do. Well, but, uh, agreed. But here's, here's, here's an issue I have with that. In 2020, our current council in January, 2020, they spent days debating I thought it was a completely obtuse and useless debate to declare that there was a housing and homeless emergency in Ottawa. Okay, they, <laughs> wasn't it a crisis? Uh, I thought oh, it was that, a crisis. Well, that was what the debate was about, and then they all agreed uh, that it was both a crisis and an emergency. And then they all patted themselves in the back and went home to bed. And the, and therein lies the problem. We have officials in this city that are obsessed with process instead of outcomes. So so. They, they declare this is – and guess what's happened since 2020? Homelessness and the drug problem has only increased. So they think having a meeting is achieving something. It's the same thing with the Shadow Laurier. Remember the extension on the Shadow Laurier? But ugly. It looked like – the first, the first part of that looked like uh, someone had crashed a motel into the back of the hotel. And then the second – so people were outraged. You can't go ahead and do this. And the second part of it was it looked like an air conditioning unit had been attached to the hotel in the design. It was a, the problem, I mean, that's a national heritage site, the Shadow Laurier. Why our local city officials, I mean, this is a a rhetorical question because, you know, Alan Hubley was on the planning committee that, you know, this local planning committee had control over whether or not there was going to be an extension put in the Shadow Laurier, which is a heritage building, a nationally recognized heritage building. And his comment at the time was, well, we know it's ugly, but we followed a process, so we have to get on with it. The th- that's the thinking. It's like the old train. Well, we followed a process and you know, the doors and the train don't open in the Rito Center and the whole thing shuts down, but we followed a process. It's like the homeless. Well, we know there's walking dead walking around the market and, the, and, there, and there's problems, but we have to have a meeting and get, and, and get more housing. You, it's not about getting more housing. It's about, it's about having a 10-year plan to get rid of homelessness in Ottawa. We've been, we've been rinsing and repeating on this cycle for the last four decades. You know, I just want to, pivot from that. I want to talk a bit about Catherine McKenney because I, you mentioned something really interesting. During the truck uh, occupation this winter, uh, McKenney was out there and, and visible, but I'm concerned. I have a concern about uh, the capacity for her to, to deliver on 
big projects because there seems to be this focus with process. I mean, that's, and that's, a, I think, a bit of a wedge issue with Sutcliffe. There, you know, others will say, well, Sutcliffe has got an entrepreneurial and business experience and approach to solutions where McKenney comes from this sort of idea of, uh, you know, a public policy built by bureaucrats and more government is good and we need government to intervene in these things. I don't know that that's, that's the solution, but it's, it's very hard to dis- disagree with Catherine McKenney in terms of her caring for people. I, I don't doubt that at all. So, Dan, I think it's a nice kind of component if we want to contrast the McKenney approach versus the Sutcliffe approach. And you've kind of looked at some of the branding that, that those campaigns have put out, right, in terms of activists, city government, um, knows the core and the issues. That is the McKenney campaign brand. Mark Sutcliffe is about affordability, community, the urban, the rural, the suburban, the bigger component of what a city would be, trying to appeal to those suburban voters. And the Shirelli campaign is about experience in terms of the detailed policy proposals, knowing how federal, provincial, municipal funding levers work. Let's take a look at what are called the two main candidates, where the Nanos poll recently shows that it is basically McKinney. a, a toss-up at the moment. McKinney, McKinney Sutcliffe, Sutcliffe. Yeah. So, so I go to the McKenney platform and uh, the costed platform, and I look at the big, the big, the big, les grands lignes in French, the big ideas. Number one, bold climate action. Number two, housing affordability. Number three, reliable and affordable transportation. Number four, world-class city for cycling. Number five, building the healthiest city. Then I come to the Sutcliffe campaign, his priorities, a safe Ottawa, transportation and roads, housing, francophone platform, affordability and taxes, then a cleaner and greener Ottawa. So you can see already that the McKenney campaign focuses on where their campaign is strong, and I can see it in the core. Yep. They are what you would call traditional urban issues in terms of urban defined issues. That is the lens from which they have seen the city at the council table for almost a decade. Whereas Mark Sutcliffe, the Sutcliffe campaign is about community activists, volunteers sitting on a bunch of not-for-profit boards. It's about the big, I don't want to call the bigger picture, a different vision for the city. You can classify whether it's a vision or not a vision, but how they branded the campaign. And the other thing, but I think Mark Sutcliffe has had, and I'm getting a little more political here, Dan. I think Mark Sutcliffe has had a challenge. And I saw this in my own campaign in 2004. Name recognition with national media, local media, uh, a certain sector of the community, a lot of community leaders, doesn't necessarily translate into votes votes in downtown Ottawa or in the suburban core for people who are even dual income families who own a house in the suburbs. Affordability is an issue for them at a different level as it is for a single parent renting in the downtown core, renting anywhere in this city with no car or access to unreliable transit. So their frame of reference of what the local municipal issues are, are not the names that are running. It's the, it's the issues that deal with them on a daily basis. So I think that's been a challenge. Uh, so I have concerns about uh, the financial stability and proposals of the McKenney campaign. Mm-hmm. I have concerns in the context of the Sutcliffe campaign. There's a lot of, uh, well, we'll convene this group. And I think you do need to convene other stakeholders. Uh, but he's looked for more balance. And then I look at the Shirelli proposals. I think they may be the most detailed of the three. Yeah, if you I would agree with that. Because that speaks to his, his history in government yeah. as a mayor and as a provincial cabinet minister. Uh, so 
that's those are the choices in front of people, whether we like them or not. I'll come back. I think all three candidates have of oodles of integrity. Um, and I just I just hope that uh, people, as they're looking at their ballots, look at that, but also ask themselves this question, which of those three candidates will be able to work with a brand new council, council? even in the strong mayor system, uh, both Mark Sutcliffe and the McKenney campaign said, we, we won't use those strong mayor powers. Well, I don't think Bob has been that declarative. Is, let me just ask you about that for a second. And, and so two points. One, I want to talk about the strong mayor legislation that the Ford government has passed. And I was a little surprised to hear, not not Catherine uh, McKenney, but it, that sort of fits her, her sort of uh, modus operandi and the way she's been at council, that she would be against that. And I understand that. And there's, I think there's a legitimate you know place for that. But I think the intent of the Ford government in passing that was to stop gridlock and get things done because we were running into this what they saw, I think, is is something that I've tried to speak to in this in our in our discussion this morning, which is this obsession with process at the expense of outcomes. So I think the 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 intent of the legislation in Toronto what was to give some mayors in big cities more power to you know to punch things through. But Sutcliffe came out and said he you know well we're against that. Shirelli interestingly said well you know. I'd look at it if I want to work with the council, but if I needed to, you know, it's good to have that option there, which I thought was the most salient sort of position because we've had this problem with process. Um, what are your thoughts on that, on those powers that the province has now uh, put in place to allow big city mayors to have more, you know, individual power and influence? And then a second question after that would be just in terms of, of the campaign, the three candidates, could Bob Shirelli be the Ralph Nader of this campaign? Uh, let's take the first question for sure. Uh, I think in this next term of council, regardless of who is mayor, uh, that the new powers will be used. Uh, in There will come a time, sure. whether it's on housing or budget, the new powers will be used, uh, especially if you get to gridlock in a decision or a debate and you need to move forward because you're the mayor and, and you have a recalcitrant, recalcitrant council. I think those will be used. Uh, and, uh, and I hope to, I hope to be wrong and that everybody can work together and get along. I don't think that's going to happen. I've, I've seen it too often. You don't think they're all going to hold approach. hands and sing kumbaya and just get along? I wouldn't want to hear, <laughs> I wouldn't want to hear 25 people sing kumbaya. That would be out of tune. <laughs> Secondly, um, the, uh, on, uh, the Shirelli campaign right now, polls show him polling at eight, nine, ten percent. Most people believe that that is eating into most observers who are eating into the, the Sutcliffe campaign. We also have to remember what the Nanos poll did show. Uh, the recent Nanos poll is that uh, the Sutcliffe campaign and the Shirelli campaign polled better with people 40 and over, polled better with people who own homes, who yeah, own homeowners, sure. traditional suburban voters. The McKenney campaign has a, dy- a dynamic, uh, attra- an attractive platform for younger voters. We know, and this we've known this for 50 years in this city, homeowners vote, renters don't vote as much. much. That is the challenge for the McKenney campaign in their Go TV efforts. And we've, we've now been through special advance polls, one advance poll, another one coming on the 14th of October. So what are you putting in the box? And does anything change now in the next two weeks in the trajectory of this campaign? 
at this point in time, uh, it, the, the job is more difficult for Mark Sutcliffe to actually translate name recognition into votes in boxes, getting people engaged, voting in the suburbs, really talking about affordability. I expect a big push on here's what your property taxes bill will look like. Here's how your affordability issues will look like should you support the Catherine McKenney campaign. In turn, I expect Bob to say, I have the experience of Shirelli campaign there to continue on their messaging. And I believe the McKenney campaign, and I think they've run a very good campaign. Agreed. Uh, we'll go on those five issues and see if the, enough of that has support around the region, around this big city. What I do find very fascinating, and I've driven the city, in previous years, in previous elections, we've really seen, especially with the growth of the city, the arterial sign presence, once you come into that border, 50 kilometers from downtown, once you come into Ottawa, you would see a lot of candidate signs for mayor. I have not seen as much of that, which may tell me, A, about campaign budgets, B, yeah. where people think voters can be moved and not moved. Uh, and again, as a political guy, I know arterial signs don't vote, lawn signs do usually. Yeah. Uh, but there's, a, there's an issue about presence, momentum. And there hasn't been, uh, and I think here's the other thing, that we have, and it's, you would know this as a media dynamic. We don't have two major newspapers and competitive talk radio in this city anymore. No. We basically have four major outlets plus uh, Le Droit, if you're looking in the French language media. So the the funnel of what the coverage would be for, from mainstream media has been very little. I haven't seen a great deal of social media engagement from a contrast a Pierre Polyev or even what exactly. the liberals yeah, do sure. with Justin Trudeau or Jagmeet Singh on TikTok. Sure. I haven't seen that level of sophistication in the social media channels uh, of each of those candidates. I've seen some stuff in there, but I wouldn't call it engaging. And especially in a place where people are getting their news more and more online. Well, it'll be interesting to see post post campaign if any of these campaigns and the smart people behind each of those campaigns talk about what they did on digital engagement and what they tried to do to get to people uh, uh, when when you couldn't knock on their doors at two in the morning, but they were digesting news. And the last point here is I think we've had a lack of engagement of citizens in this campaign because this is our first real fall without COVID in three years. Yeah, people are uh, recovering, and so people are gonna, sure. And I, yeah, people are living their lives. They're not as engaged. And now we're hearing that the eighth wave is coming. So this is it's a very a unique election 20 years in. Uh, and we, we should kind of touch it, if we can, touch just on the fiscal situation of the city. I think that's very important. Debt. The debt. <laughs> De a the lot debt of debt. has tripled. Yeah. <laughs> the debt has tripled in, in the last decade of this city council. Uh, we're at three point, on the 2021 books, we're yeah. on official debt. We're at 3.04 billion. We also have $313 million in mortgage debt, 75, $79 million in leases debt. And $728 million in future obligations as our part of the city contribution to OMERS, to public yep. servants, whether you like them or not, they've, they've earned their pensions yep, and it's that's mostly a... defined benefit plans, yep. not defined contribution plans. So you've got to look at that. And on top of that, we have a $4.14 billion operating budget, just a, a capital budget that's just about um, $11.5 short of a billion dollars. Yeah. This is a this is a five and a half billion dollar corporation. This is not a small city. And I'll say one more thing: people are upset about their property taxes and what you pay. Municipal government, local government, is still the best bargain on the books Agreed. for your tax dollars for what you pay. And I'm just 
as people are listening, please get interested in this campaign, whether you vote for a candidate I like or your neighbor likes or you don't. You interact with the city 50 times every single day. You wake up, you flush your toilet, you turn on the light, you take the bus if it gets there, a light rail that gets there. You go to a restaurant, public health has inspected that. You're going for your COVID shot or your flu shot. That's public health. You're policing, your streetlights and, and a bunch of stuff. And half of your property taxes go to things, Dan, that you never see. Yep. It's the infrastructure under the ground. Absolutely. Uh, Plumbing, so, sewage, and, and, all of those things. Yeah. yeah. Well, we get uh, we get we get we get a good value, but who's going to extend that value and make sure they steward that five and a half billion dollars correctly? The mayor and the council. Well, that's a big issue. It's a big job. It's a big issue. Uh, it's coming up on October twenty fourth. I think I'd like to sort of round up and and end this podcast session, just uh, getting some final thoughts from you on on the candidates, and I'll, I'll you know I'll just share with you uh, an observation I have. And it's the one thing in this campaign that I've I have been pleased about has been the uh, level of civility uh, between the candidates, the main candidates. I I, I think it's been really great uh, between McKenney, Shirelli, and Sutcliffe. It hasn't gotten you know uh, Walter toxic or corrosive. I think it's been respectful. And I think there's a lesson there, given what we're seeing in other levels of government. And I, and I think that's something that uh, that I think the three campaign teams uh, can be proud of. What are your thoughts on that in closing? I would agree. There's been some kind of swipes here sure. and there. Uh, well, co- you know, politics is a contact sport, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a blood sport yeah. to a certain degree, like boxing that I like to do. <laughs> the uh, I think I think that it's also a function of the personalities of each of those candidates. Uh, I commend them all for their commitment to public service, them and their families for going through this process and, and the abuse that we've seen hurled at politicians of all stripes uh, and is, is unacceptable uh, and the trolling that you see online. Sure. I think they're also, we haven't had as engaged as an electorate as I've seen in the last mayoral races. And that could be the new future, the new, the next normal for us. The bigger challenge will be uh, getting in and learning the city. Uh, whoever wins, it's a new city. It's 20 years past since when Bob was the mayor, so to speak. Uh, it's uh, being a councillor and then becoming the mayor. That can be a tough transition should Catherine McKenney, their campaign, win. And, and Mark Sutcliffe coming from the outside. Yeah. Uh, as I learned being the chief of staff yes, to Larry O'Brien absolutely. for just under a year, uh, federal and provincial politics has its own cadence. The city is a different, different beast. beast. And it, and there's a lot, again, a lot of things that we do, a lot of ground to cover. And the other thing why I think this campaign has been more civil is because you can't, as, as a mayor or a councillor, you interact with the people who voted for you and did not vote for you, but you still represent them when you see them at the hockey game, yeah, in the absolutely. arena, in the grocery store, at Ottawa Little Theatre, uh, when you're walking Sparks or your local kind of commercial establishment in your neighborhood uh, or just at the, the local rec center what, or out on a bike path if they're biking by you, Dan. That, I mean, you, you see these Nobody people, bikes and, and by me, Walter. Still, Nobody gets by me. They, I'm pretty uh, fast. Well, you and I, that's a challenge. I'll get you on that one day. But you, you see, you see the whites of their eyes sure. and you know, and you, you, and you have to kind of be honest with them and say, here's what I can do for you. And here's what I can't. And everybody's issue is important because they've raised it with you. It's important to them and you have to balance that. It's not easy. 
Well, look, on that note, uh, I'd like to thank you for sharing your thoughts with us. You've got a, just such a, a wealth of experience at, in government and in the city and, of course, federally and of all the charitable work you've done, Walter. And I think you've really helped uh, bring, you know, the issues of this campaign into into some focus and left people with some things to think about. And I certainly look forward to talking to you again post-October 24th when the election is over, because as, as you say, you know, either way, it's going to be a new council and a new mayor and de- dealing with all these uh, challenges in our in our grand capital city. So thank you very much for joining me this morning. Greatly appreciated, Dan. And uh, just a couple weeks away, look forward to chatting again, and then we can recycle our list of things that need to be addressed and build a, a manifesto for the new mayor and council. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. <laughs> have, a, have a great weekend, Walter. We'll talk to you. Take care. Bye.